Welcome to Sticks and Taps, where we're talking hockey, a bit of the Irish crack, and raising pints. Yours truly, Mr. Paul Cooper here, holding down the board in New York in the great USA. And it's time to begin me drinking, mate, from the great city of Ottawa, Mr. Liam McGuire, bartender. Line up about 12. It's been a couple of weeks. How's it going there, brother? <laughs> That's good for me. What are you having? Oh, <laughs> that's right. Sure, bring, uh, make it uh, 24 there, please. I've got him drinking with Mr. McGuire. Hey, buddy. How you doing, man? How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm so glad to be back here talking to you. Back uh, in New York, I was down in uh, the great city of New Orleans uh, over the week, uh, last week. Wednesday yeah. through uh, Sunday night. Touchdown uh, back at JFK. Yeah. And um, getting back into the routine and... Life is good. The kid brother is now uh, officially a. What's the term there? Uh, what's what, what is the you, term? There's the term so many you, lines there. Uh, what so is it, a, decent, a decent man now. What is it called? <laughs> <laughs> you made. She made an honest man out of him. There you go. That's there you go. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, something else, man. <laughs> yeah. So listen, I want to hear all about the wedding, but first, inquiring minds, Polly. Yes, sir. Want to know because prior to departing for the wedding. You have been making this physical transformation, and you were sticking to it, and and you were telling me and our fantastic listeners that <laughs> you, you know that you are adhering to this very strictly. Now you're going to your brother's wedding with an abundance of food and drink and merriment. How in God's name could you possibly? <laughs> <laughs> stayed true to your form but you look good i've seen you on the screen here so tell me about that first and foremost well uh i you know i i, I told you i've been seeing a nutritionist right and my yes friend, my friend len anybody who's listening you brought him from, with you and got yet got him hammered yeah exactly yeah <laughs> <laughs> well i meet with him every week now and he's turned me into a bit of an ingredients nerd you know what i'm saying so um i have to feel he was on my shoulder while i was down there I had a little bit of fun. I was given the okay, but I, I got to tell you, man, I was, uh, I tell you what, here's the, here's the best story. We do the, uh, the groomsmen, uh, lunch on Saturday afternoon before the wedding. Yeah. And all the lads are, are sitting around me and all that stuff. And, and Sean and my dad and stuff like that. And we're having a good chat and the guys are, awesome. you know, everybody's ordering pints and the fried food and the pole boys and the gumbo and all that other stuff. Right. Yeah. So I I order the I get my cup of gumbo. You got you when you go down to the south. There's a couple of things you got to get. For me, it's the chicken fried steak and the grits. Yeah. And then you got to have a cup of gumbo or jambalaya, right? Yeah. So uh, I uh, but I also ordered a, a, a the Greek salad with the with the black and chicken man. So oh, of I, course I, you yeah, did. Good boy, you know right. <laughs> so I have all the lads and we're talking and they're getting. I'm I'm looking up. Oh, that's no good. Up. Oh, that's a million calories. You're, you're done there. You're finished there what do you what'd you order oh my god see how much bread's on that thing so i was, <laughs> I was doing that so i do the greatest thing is is that uh one of my brother's buddies steve right he texts me on monday hey buddy can i have your nutritionist number no I way want, i want to get some things straightened out. <laughs> <laughs> no the, hey, the coolest thing was uh just uh you know getting you know when you when you start transforming yourself again and you start losing weight and you start getting into that and um I, I behaved myself. I had a cup of ice cream. I did a couple of little things. I went crazy a little bit, but the the and the food down in New Orleans is very rich. It's very salty and stuff. So you kind of have to be 
you know, uh, particular, man. But, man, uh, I had uh, GW Finn's on Bourbon Street. Please go there if you're ever down in New Orleans. Uh, the food there is spectacular from the, uh, the tuna tacos to the, um, the, the chicken that they had, the wild salmon, um, and this sweet potato mash. I've still, I'm still like my eyes go in the back of my head, but, um, but look, if you're going, look, I'm going to say this to everybody. Okay. See, I've been down there in the past in my younger years and I have ripped it up down there. I tore it up. Okay. So I had my folks with me getting a little older and stuff. Bourbon street is madness every day of the year, 24 hours a day. Liam, have you been down there? I have not. Okay. So here's, here's, I want to give you an idea, right? So it goes 24 hours, but everything shuts down in the morning for about uh, an hour or two, right? Between, I think, 7 and 9 a.m., I believe is the number. Clean up the puke and the blood, I'm assuming. Yeah, the, st- the, <laughs> the street cleaners come down, and the power washers, and they, they clean, and the, and the garbage can guys, and they clean everything up, a clean slate, and then yeah. all, the, all the beer trucks come in, and the food, and they restock everything, and Beautiful. boom, like clockwork, 9.30, 10 a.m., yeah, um, there's young kids out there. They put the buckets on the street. And they start banging with the sticks, you know, and yeah. what? And they they kick it off, and it starts all over again. And buddy, we got in Wednesday night. Guess who was in town to play the Saints on Thursday night? The Dallas Cowboys. Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. So we had half of Texas in New Orleans on Thursday night, and and the and the New Orleans Saints fans and the Dallas Cowboy fans just the rip back and forth was was fantastic to just wow. be around it. And, uh, you know, for us New Yorkers heading down south and yeah. hearing all the accents. <laughs> but, man, there were jerseys everywhere and elevator rides and bump the bars and stuff. And I got to say, man, you, you see a lot of um, uh, videos online of fans brawling and fighting. And I didn't see any I didn't see any after the day after or any of that in the, in the Superdome. And I tell you what, man, uh, back in Bourbon Street before the game and after the game and the night before – I didn't see anything. It seemed like everybody was just having a great time, man. So, yeah. look, you know, those videos, they're shot like someone shoots one. And it's not I don't think it's representative of the overwhelming majority of people that go there. But then they put it up and then people watch it and say, oh, well, that's got to be happening every five minutes. Yeah, I don't think that's the case at all. I've had other friends down there and have had just fabulous times and ha- haven't seen really a hint of trouble. You know what? I was going to ask you, you're talking about these great places and going in and New Orleans and Dallas and the fans and everything like that. But what about like access in and out? Like, could you go into these places if it's that busy 24 seven and it's such a tourist destination spot, which it is like, can you move in there? Is it like, can you hear yourself or what? Like what? Give me an example of what it's like being, being inside the, the various bars and restaurants and stuff for just for, comfort and and enjoyment of having a little bit of you know we're not we're not in a we don't we don't want to go into a mosh pit anymore you know at our age so what's what's that like okay um so as far as today's what's going on if you know if you're talking about covid and everything else so obviously every airport here um um you have to wear masks in the airport on the planes all that other stuff right um and then in and out of the cabs uh down there you know they they ask you to wear your your mask and stuff like that on, There's no masks uh, at those bars, I bet. No, well, here's the deal. Um, if because um, being vaccinated has its benefits, okay? Right. So this yeah. is what's going on. So myself, my family, we're all vaccinated, boosted, all that other stuff. The hotels, they don't ask for that as you as you come in. 
You know what I'm saying? Okay. Yeah. What I'm noticing now, Liam, here in the last, you know, six, eight months, you, basically anybody who's wearing a mask either has an underlying condition being extra safe or those are people who are not vaccinated. That's basically what it is. When you're outside of, say, airports and all that stuff. The bars are free reign. It was in and out. There's no, there's no, they're not, uh, the, the, the restaurants, they are checking your vaccination cards. You either have to okay. have a negative test Same or a vaccination card to sit down in the restaurants. Okay. And that is primarily the, the, the more fancier ones, the nicer ones, it's, and it's optional. Because me and my wife also found this great little place called Daisy Dukes, ladies and gentlemen. You got to nice. go to it. It's fascinating. It's uh, bartenders from uh, um, uh, Slovakia. Uh, the waitress is from Iraq. Um, and, wow. and, they're, and they're all down here in, in New Orleans, and they're just wonderful people, which is a great mesh. Me and my wife love it because that's kind of like what New York is and everything else. Um, yeah. But they, they didn't ask for anything and nothing going in. So I got to tell you, you know, being vaccinated and stuff like that, I don't I don't really have any concerns and have any concerns walking through the streets and every concerns yeah. going in and out of the bars. But that's it. It's it's like normal times, man. You'll just get some of the nicer uh, places that we went into. Uh, it's up to them. They will choose to decide whether or not they want you to show a vaccination card or a negative test. Other than gotcha. that, you can go to patios. You can go over to Rick's. You can go to the Crazy Corner. You can go, you know, all the different bars on the strip. And everybody in the street, man, because you got to figure, man, from Thursday night when the Dallas Cowboy fans came in. Yeah. And, then, you know, my brother wasn't the only wedding that was in town, too. So a lot of people do Oh, wow, this. right, of course. Because it was awesome. Yeah. We uh, we were part of the parade. They do a parade for the married couples. Really? And, uh, I, yeah, I got some videos. I'm going to send some. I'll post a couple, too. Um, but, yeah, they get the jazz band in front of you. And they walk yeah. down the streets, and everybody oh, yeah. dances. It's and like everything. you see in the movies. Yeah, it was weird. It was fantastic, man. It was such a great part it's of it. So, so cool. um, But that's basically it, man. You can go down to New Orleans, um, you know, whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. You can have, you can have a great time, and um, it's open run. And the great thing about New Orleans, which is pretty much like, uh, I believe Nashville is the same way. See, Music City and Nashville, I've been there, too. They have Music Row there down in Nashville. The difference is, is that in Nashville – all the bars are next to each other and stuff, and I think you can go from bar to bar. If you buy a drink in one bar, you can go to the next bar. In right. Nashville, you just you can't. It's not out into the open street, <clears throat> like in Bur- on Bourbon Street. It's like a festival, so it's just this mass humanity up and down, and even the other side streets, Charles Street and Canal Street, and all around and stuff. I mean, the city. You know, I've been down there. I would just want to say this about New Orleans. Uh, the last time I was down there, when I was really partying hard years ago. Um, and just everything, smoking, drinking, the whole nine years, <laughs> fifteen years ago, um, and uh, but we would, me and my wife were there the the week before Katrina hit, so we had partied, we'd come home, and then we're watching New Orleans getting just wiped out on TV. Yeah, we yeah. were crushed because we just had such an amazing time. We're thinking about the people, and then uh, about a year or two, Ida hit there, right? Yeah, I was so impressed how strong, how resilient uh, the city actually in in. Downtown proper New Orleans was clean. It was, it was, you know, they they're out there cleaning as much as they can. I mean, um, but it was strong. Um, uh, the, it seemed like economically it was doing very well. Uh, great presence by uh, Nola PD. Um, God bless those guys and gals out there too. Yeah. Um, and they they put the Mounties down Bourbon Street, man. It's it's uh, it's a great show, man. They just kind of stand there and they're they're amazing. They stand stoic. The horses are amazing, and then the troopers are on top. They really don't engage so much if someone yeah. wants to come up and take a picture let's say okay or whatever yeah but, um so i'm just uh i'm really proud of uh, new orleans as a city 
Uh, and just, it's a great mix of culture down there. Lots of different people. And, um, you know, it was, um, I was, me and my wife were only hesitant about the trip because we were leaving our kids for the first time, but it yeah. all worked out. They were there. And once we got down there, we just had a wonderful time and it all came back and, uh, we just really enjoyed it. And, and kudos to my brother and his wife. What a show, what an amazing, <laughs> uh, from the restaurants and the dinners. Uh, my brother took me and, and Mike, my cousin, Mike, now Mike, uh, Carver Jr. does um, the Isle Seed podcast for y'all on the fans out there, and he's my cousin, and he's basically my my brother's cousin and best friend. But he took okay. us to an old style barber, and we got the shaves and all that stuff. Down oh there. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I met this twenty three year old girl, man, and she's uh, she's running the shop, and she's amazing. She's got this incredible. Uh, you know, she told me the story of how she bought the. I mean, she's twenty three. She moved him down in the bio. The Bayou, I should say, moved up there. So that's another great thing about New Orleans. You meet so many different people. There's so many different people from all over the world that are coming down there. Uh, great stories, bumping into people, and you have great conversations. And for the most part, there's a very, you know, you got to be careful down there too, um, you know, as far as holding on to your money and all that other stuff because it yeah. is a festival-type <laughs> atmosphere. People do get lit up. People do get drunk. People sure. can't handle it. You know, they're, they're going to be in bad shape. you got to be careful. But overall... Um, I would recommend it to everybody, and it's it's great to go down there, buddy. It's it's made for you, pal. Music, and <laughs> I'm gonna say this one last thing because I, you know, as a musician, the band's down there. But man, to the to the band at Bourbon O's, man, woo! Bass player and drummer, man, locking in and old school, and and they do everything down there. You'll hear Motown, uh, hard rock, '80s, country, '90s. Um, and every bar, the sounds that come out of the bars. And then of course, was, was there an opportunity for you uh, just as a total off the cuff, just to jump up somewhere and no, grab an ax and just I start did, picking? I or? did that years ago. I did get okay. up with a couple of bands years ago when, uh, you know, I was out there partying and, and, and nowhere to be. We had, yeah. we had things to do and, you know, yeah, um, yeah. I was, yeah, yeah. I was really kind of being like, I felt like a uh, secret service for my mom and dad because, we were doing a lot of walking to oh, yes, of course. stuff like that. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, yeah. you do have to do it. One of my cousin's wives, unfortunately, their 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 pocketbook was lifted, and oh, you know, they geez. had to go through all that stuff and get a passport yeah. sent up and everything else, and so like that. But um, no, I've had that's cool. But you know, and the musicians. But I'm telling you, man, the sounds that come out of the bars, and of course, the jazz. Yeah, Down in the hotel, they have this jazz room and jazz vocalists and jazz players, and it's like so. If you love music, you love food. And you love the drink. <laughs> that should be Buddy. just a big sign outside of my driveway. Liam McGuire, this way. <laughs> you should franchise down there. Get that pub on Bourbon Street, buddy. Oh, man. Yeah, I don't know how much hockey they'll handle, but uh, yeah, we there's hockey down that. around that area. We were laughing about that. The guy's got the Saints and the Pelicans down there. and uh, yeah. yeah, there's no yeah. hockey. I don't think no. hockey would work out. <laughs> no, they wouldn't. They wouldn't know. But you saw, though, I found the, the Canadian fan in the lobby, right? Yeah, I saw that. You sent me the picture. That was and unbelievable. And the And the guy wearing the, the uh, slop shot sweater, the yeah, Hanson Brothers. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> so I got a little bit of hockey when it was down there, man. Yeah, there was your hockey connection for the trip right there. Yeah, so. well, that's, that's just great stuff, man. I'm just uh, thrilled for you to have had such a great time. And for Sean and his wife, it sounds like uh, everything just – went spectacularly for your folks to be there and everything else. I know we're going to touch on it at the end too, with the toast and uh, mm -hmm. your uncle and everything. So <clears throat> it's, uh, that's awesome, man. Hey, listen, great to have you back. And uh, uh, you certainly couldn't have given a, a bigger endorsement. 
for anybody listening to get down there who hasn't been. And, you know, it's just some some bucket list things that really aren't that difficult to do that I haven't done. And that's that's definitely one of them. It's not like some place in Europe that I should get to or, you know, climb Mount Everest or something like that. Who I have no desire to do. I mean, you know, this is just a, a several hour flight. Just get on, go down and and take it in, you know, and I haven't done it. So just didn't. And buddy, didn't it's, it's, it's not just Bourbon Street, right? You can go on a steamboat ride on the Mississippi. You've done that. It's amazing. The World yeah. War II Museum is down there. It's incredible. Uh, yeah. You can take a trolley ride through the Garden District. It's beautiful. I mean, there's, there's just so much to do down. It's not just uh, it's not just uh, Bourbon Street, man. There's there's a lot of great life and culture well, and history down there. I figured, you know, I kind of hit the pinnacle when I sit at the back of the Osgood Legion with Dean Holmes. But, uh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, buddy. Really? No, that's... Uh, that's a whole other level, and uh, I mean, drinking with Dean. No, I'm <laughs> kidding, but uh, I, I, that's fantastic, man. Uh, I'm just thrilled for you. Thrilled Thanks, for you. So what about you, man? I, I see that you're uh, you're getting back out in the live front, man. You got yeah. some shows coming up. And talk to me about months. it, man. There's nothing better than seeing Liam McGuire live. And uh, we were just talking before. <laughs> you're coming down to, to Philly, God willing, in April, and I got it marked. It's only two and a half hours for me. I am... I am on the road with the crew, and we're coming up to see Mr. McGuire in the Philadelphia there, there Flyers, you go. buddy. There you go. Yeah, that's that's the third gig I've booked for 2022 of fairly substantial event. This is uh, Friday Night Fights Part 2 in Philadelphia, April 1st, Friday, April 1st. I did the original a couple of years back. We had number two scheduled the day, the day that COVID basically hit North America I was in Philadelphia and and flew out that day before the borders shut down and all sorts of different things, but uh, to get back home and of course didn't do the event. But we had uh, the Flyer alumni. I told you before, Polly. I'll tell you that Philadelphia Flyer alumni are one of the better ones. I've worked for a dozen or so alumni at different times in the NHL. Obviously, there's a lot of teams haven't been around long enough to really develop sort of an alumni presence, but but um, there's a lot, obviously, that have the majority. But out of those, I've worked for a dozen or 14. And the Flyers alumni I'd put right at, right up there with anybody's, really, including the Montreal Canadiens, who I've done the most work for. But they, they are so strong and so well-run. Brad Marsh does an incredible job. Anyway, yeah, down there. Hey, for hey buddy, both, both of those alumni squads could suit up and help the current clubs out a little bit. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, it's amazing what's going on in the NHL right now. Some teams that have come out that people probably didn't expect to have the Minnesota Wild first overall, to have Anaheim and Detroit playing the way they are. And then conversely, you know, I think Montreal was expected to be at, at best a playoff contender. Nobody figured they'd fall off the face of the earth. And then you look at the Flyers, as you said, and all the coaching changes right now in the NHL, general manager stuff that's gone on, Vancouver, Montreal. Other, We're going to get into and, it. Yeah, we'll get into all that. So you're right. Yeah, the alumni could step in in some cases and probably do no worse than some of the current teams. But uh, it's got to be tough on on the guys that wore the sweaters back in the day. Well, you did the Zoom last time, right? That was fantastic. I watched it. I did. I did about three flyer Zooms there in the first six months uh, of uh, of COVID, including the big one there, with uh, which I got to tell you, that was so... I mean, Mark Messier, Mark Howe, Ron Hextall, Mike Keenan, Bill Clement... Um, I did another one with Dave Brown. I'm trying to think who else was on that big one, but, but it was, that was, that was amazing. That was amazing to take part in, but 
Yeah, and I got a, I got two other big ones booked, and then my 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 regular show that I got hired for twenty months ago, and I've not worked one shift, is finally scheduled to start on on New Year's Day at Woo-hoo! the uh, Rideau Carlton Casino here. Yeah, nice. scheduled to start finally New Year's Day for the Sens Leafs game, and and what I'm doing there, Polly, is is I'm 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 basically in front of the Leafs all day. Yeah, all day, 24-7. <laughs> it's pretty easy, right? Just have to wake up in the morning and just anything you say, it's easy. But uh, uh, I'm Alex Trebek. I'm going to be a hockey version of the late Alex Trebek doing a Jeopardy-style hockey trivia show. Nice. In, 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 in what essentially is Ottawa's newest bar. It's a lounge called The Joint, which is which is in the refurbished casino, which is now a building that's been purchased by the Hard Rock, which is a global brand, mm-hmm. as we all well know. And this this is a beautiful beautiful place in the second floor of Rio Carlton Casino, and and I'm scheduled to work my first shift there on New Year's Day. Now, God willing, this thing will roll out regularly. After that, it was back before COVID. I was supposed to do a couple shifts a week. Now we're hoping to start maybe one a week. My guess is it'll be less than that, and maybe bi-weekly or maybe even once a month. We don't know, but. I am starting January 1st, and and uh, I have done now, I think, four gigs in the last, like, seven weeks. So, finally, things are turning for me a little bit after what's been just a hell of a drought. And it's, it's you know this, because you and I have talked uh, either on here or off. Yeah. On and off, man. It's been a grind. It's been a grind. But uh, to get through, and... Uh, here we are. So some things are happening. So hopefully stuff, uh, knock on all the wood I can and, you know, and I uh, take a shot of whiskey every day you know, for good luck <laughs> and and uh, chase the demons away. And hopefully uh, hopefully things get cooking here like they're supposed to. Because uh, the stuff I've got booked, I've got a big one in Montreal on January 20th, a really, really big one. And then I got a two-dayer in a little town just west of us here called Brockville a two-dayer in February, part of a big, big tournament. And um, now it looks like we're probably not going to go to the Olympics because that was supposed to be in and around would have been the gold medal game, which you have to like Canada's chances to be in. Even with mm-hmm. the time change, we're not sure when that would have been and all that sort of stuff. But that was supposed to be in and around that. Anyway, that, my gig's happening regardless. The, term, the, the Olympics were just a byproduct of it. And then now I've got the big one in, in Philly if everything goes ahead. So... So yeah, buddy, and I know I I know you're gigging and yeah, you're up man. on stage and you're singing and you're back at it and have been I think for a little while now and I've just slowly I'm behind you for sure where I normally would be but uh, but uh, yeah it's 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 starting to come and uh, I'm 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 encouraged by it because God knows man it's been it's been a grind with a capital G that's for sure yeah plus I mean it's something that you love to do and when you're not able to obviously make a living and and but also when you're what you do and your talent and your craft is something that you love to do. Yeah. You know, that's, um, you know, for artists and, you know, guys like yourself, you know, historians and authors and stuff. Because even, yeah. like, you know, even getting out there doing, I mean, when you're doing the book stuff with Ogie and all that other stuff, I mean, you love seeing people. You love meeting people. You love having. I do. You know, you're, yeah. you're, your trade is so much about conversation and interaction. And, and that's, that's like, um, I mean, that's a. Uh, that's a high in its own outside of alcohol or, you know, anything else. You know oh, yeah. I mean? no, but you must feel the same thing when you get up on stage. 
Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 super. I mean, um, a little story last night. So in between my big shows, which are back, and we're on a little break, and we kick things off here in January at a big show here in Long Island. The, but you you can't go any higher than this venue that we're playing. It's called the Paramount. Other than that, you play you know either UBS, the Garden, uh, Jones Beach, or whatever. So it's the okay. highest level yeah. before you get to the highest level, and you know you basically have to be a national artist to go beyond that. Right. But I play solo shows in between. So, you know, I, I, I post this. So, I, there's a place in the Rockaways, uh, two places in Rockaway Beach, Bay, the two Irish places, uh, Jameson's Pub and uh, Harbor Light, where I'm at this evening. So, last night at the end of the show, a woman comes up to me. I had already finished, it was done. And I usually play about three hours straight just because I love to play. Yeah. And she comes up and she goes, Oh, would, would you mind? Could you do uh, one or two songs? And she brings a 20 spot up. And I, I don't like yeah. to do that or whatever. Yeah. And I unplug the speakers and. And I said, well, I, I just played three hours. I just finished and stuff. And she, oh, you know, I just, I've had this really tough year. My, my nine-year-old son, he's getting his, um, like, uh, his, his, his tube out tomorrow for cancer. He's had cancer the whole past year. And he's getting, you know, he's, he's survived it. He's, he's beaten it. And I just was, I was hoping maybe you could just play another country, couple of country songs for me and stuff like that. So she, now I have a nine-year-old son, right? Yeah. So, and she's very lovely. She's not one of these, you know, drunks. She's not yeah, yeah, or anything. Yeah. She's just very yeah. nicely asked. I mean, so I said, look, I said, if, because the bartender put the, the house music back on. I said, ask the bartender, Naughty, if you ever go in there, James Pub, Rockway Beach, great guy. Um, and Naughty's like, yeah, no problem. Sure. Pop it back on. I got on. And I did another three, four songs for her. And awesome. um, I love that. That was, for me, giving her a little happiness yeah, because she's basically yeah. spent that last year in the hospital with her son. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And then afterwards, uh, on the way out, she was leaving, and I went up to her, and I said, you know, because she happened to be uh, a big country, but I, I do Kenny Chesney, Zach Brown, and Jimmy Buffett. And I asked her if she was fans of that. She said, yeah. And long story short, I said, well, look, here, take my card. I said, go to the website, any bands in 2022 that you want to go to, that's a ticket event. I said, you hit me up. Uh, I will actually invite her to be a VIP for my show in January. But they're taking right. her son first time down to Atlanta, Disneyland. I said, that's great or whatever. But awesome. so that that whole interaction of me being a musician, I made somebody happy. I, yeah. I, I, and they were two Irish girls. Too funny. Because it's all Irish down there in, in Rockaway Beach. I mean, there's a great mix of everybody down there. Yeah. Um, but right? it's, it's primarily an Irish. A lot of the cops and firemen live there. City cops and city firemen. Yeah, you told like me that, that before. Yeah, I gotta, so, get, I gotta get there too, man. Uh, I gotta. You, if there. you set foot in JFK, man, we are. <laughs> I am taking you everywhere, brother. Don't you worry about it. But anyway, I, I don't want to prolong this too much. But it was just like I said. You go out there when you play. It's like oxygen. You love interacting with people and and, and talking yeah. and making people laugh and making people happy. When you're yeah. in that, uh, when you're in the crowd business, the people business. Yeah. So yeah. when all of that got taken out from all of us. And there's two sides of it. The venue owners, you know, lost money and a lot of places closed. And then, uh, you know, a lot of yeah. people lost their jobs. And then a lot of people haven't come back to the industry because of it. You know, they don't. No, I, I, I know. I know. So anyway, you know, Paulie, it, I, I'm great. supposed to get a check every month from Liam McGuire's, right? Yeah. Like the, play, the place bought my name. I don't own it. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be open 19 years on February 10th, which wow. is remarkable. It's really only due for one reason. That's our owner, Leo Dion. He's. He has enough resources and he had deep enough pockets to survive a couple of times. It probably would have closed the average bar. <clears throat> but he decided, you know what? I've rarely lost at anything business-wise in life. And I'm adamant I'm not going to lose at this. So he's kept it open. But COVID hit. 
A lot of places in Ottawa closed, including our local Don Cherry's. It was the first one to go under. Wow. Uh, owned by a very dear friend of mine, Dan Cowley, whose father's in the Hockey Hall of Fame, Bill mm-hmm. Cowley, a Stanley Cup winner with the Bruins back in the late 30s, early 40s. But anyway, <clears throat> um, Liam McGuire's like, I'm supposed to get a check, you know, every month. And when they weren't open, I wasn't getting that. Then they opened and... Because the sales are nowhere near what they were. Like I'm only getting a percentage of what the sales were compared to pre-COVID. So, you know, I mean, like I'm it's open and I've been in there and I've spoken there, done, you know, I've done a couple of events there, and I've gone in there and meet people there and friends, this, that, and the other, but no place, no place in the region of Ottawa Carlton is running anywhere near close to what they were uh pre-COVID yet. Yeah, it's I crazy. Mean, no, no places and many closed. So, yeah. you know, we're, and that's why I think there's still a lot of great unknown about 2022, even though I'm booking these events is just, well, are we, can we continue going up the ladder here and progressing to, to getting more, less restrictive understanding that probably for the foreseeable future and that being maybe another year or more, we are probably going to be a mask wearing society minimally, at least here in and out. You yeah. can take it off once you get in to places, but you you gotta you gotta be mask in and mask out, man. Let alone double vaxxed yeah. to, to go into. Um, you know, I've been to two sense games in in the last ten days, and you're you gotta be double vaxxed to get in that building. Yeah, yeah. You know, so yeah, it's, that's just the reality crossed, of right? it, man. Yeah, we keep our fingers crossed. We carry on, and uh, we'll go from there. And. As uh, you know, you mentioned Mark before. Look what I got from uh, the folks at MSG today. Uh, there you go. Mark's new book. Yeah. No one, will, no one wins alone. Isn't that yeah. the truth? Huh? That's an interesting title choice. So we've all got to do it together. <laughs> <laughs> now, why do you think that's an interesting title? <laughs> from Marcus, the moose. <laughs> well, I just wonder what he's inferring by that because... <clears throat> I, I, that's just, I, I, I didn't know that by the way. I, I didn't, I knew he had a book out. I, yeah, I, to be honest with you, I didn't know that was the name of it. I didn't know. It's a memoir. It's a memoir. Yeah. Look, he's got, uh, he's got all this. He's got him and his buddy Gretzky on the back there. And well, of course. Obviously the, yeah. the shot with the cup and on Broadway there. I and... mean, there certainly would be no, no reference there to, to his Edmonton days because it, it, he, he was a, a fantastic compliment as was Curry and Anderson primarily then, you know, you go into the secondary all behind 99. And, you know, he goes to New York, and maybe that's maybe more attributed there because of the guarantee game against New Jersey. And, and he kind of he kind of carried the squad, even though he didn't win the Conn Smythe and, uh, you know, went to Leach and deservedly so. And he didn't lead the team in scoring. Zuboff did, but I don't know. I just, I find that title, maybe he explains it in there somewhere. Maybe he's just trying to drive home the value of a team. Yeah. And, you know, and what you need. And maybe he's got other examples in there that go beyond just his his Hall of Fame career, which probably should have ended after he left New York. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, after I read the Ogie book, I'll read this one. And I'll yeah. let you know what he's talking about. You read the Ogie one first, man, because <laughs> it is amazing. You must see it, too. At least, I swear to God, I swear to God, we brought that book out in April of 2019. That's going to be three years this April since it came out. 
Can't even believe that. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. that is right. I can't even believe that. But there is not maybe two weeks, not every three weeks on either Twitter or Facebook, those two for sure, there's a mention of him or the character Ogie Oglethorpe. And I'm very thankful to everybody out there because somebody sees it and they tag me and bring me in Mm -hmm. to whatever the thread is. Yeah. And then I just pepper it and we end up getting another 12 or 15 books sold, you know? That's great. But, But it is amazing to me the lasting power that this man, more his reputation, has had because so many people only know just a few superficial things about the guy. So I really do hope at some point you get a chance to read the book. And I've had, I would say of the people that bought it, that reached out to me after whatever percentage that would be, a percentage of them say to me, Liam, this just can't be a true story. Like it's impossible that this man is still alive. It's impossible. I said, guys, I'm telling you, that's not only why I wrote it, because it deserved to be and needed to be in print, mm-hmm. but that's why it's going to make a hell of a movie. Yeah. You know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make an incredible movie because it's a tale of survival mixed with, you know, fistic endeavor of, of righteousness. I, hey, I don't know how. how all anybody's got to do, buddy, is uh, your son made that uh, promo video, right? That yeah, that's it, out. man. It's five. It's five minutes long. I mean, you watch that, and you—if you don't go buy says the book after watching that, man, I mean, that's some super it, stuff too. It, it, it says it all. Like you know, I uh, just finish on this note on that because I always get excited and get running away when I get talking about the book. But the story that comes up all the time because on the threads, inevitably, Polly, somebody quotes. The, the verse where he's introduced for the first time in the movie and he comes skating out and they say, this man's had a trying rookie season. What with his litigation and uh, notoriety with the law or subsequent deportation to Canada and that country's refusal to accept him. And all of that is true. <laughs> it's based on a true story. Wow. Nancy Dowd took Goldie's incident in Green Bay and on the airplane where the brawl started on the plane down the stairs aren't on the tarmac air traffic is diverted and airport security were not enough to stop him they had to call in the local SWAT team to get him under control and he was the only guy detained everybody else was allowed back on the plane, wow. except for him, because he was, as the security swarmed in on him, he was dropping them one after another, after he had beat the shit out of everybody else. <laughs> and and why did the fight start? Because the one guy wouldn't leave him alone. Wow. And stayed on him about his coach's uh, brother. And Goldie said, that was my junior, that's my junior coach. And you're talking about his brother. You're talking about that man's family. And he uh, warned him repeatedly to shut up in the bar, loading and getting on. And then he snapped. And when he snaps, he sees nothing but I am going to eliminate now what was the problem or the threat. Yeah. And that's when he goes into Rambo mode. And that's what the book is about. So you ever get to read it, you'll come across that story. And you you let me know what you think of it. Because uh, it, it is... 
pretty – then they put him on a bus when they did – when Canada did finally say, okay, yeah, we'll take him. We'll take him back. <laughs> <laughs> did anyway. you meet him at the border? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could have. I don't know if it would have been a good thing had I met him back in the day. But, but uh, oh. <laughs> I, I, you know what? Uh, the, the irony is he was in Smith Falls, which is a town I can drive to in 30 minutes. He played he, – he was arrested there. Uh, in a junior game where he, he went in the stands and uh, and and fought a bunch of guys and he 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 beat up he he knocked a security guard unconscious in that one and he got detained overnight they had to bail him out uh, so he was in Smith Falls and he was almost in Ottawa as a player with 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 when the Denver Spurs folded and uh, transferred to Ottawa and became the Ottawa Civics. For a brief period of time in 75, 76, he was on the Denver roster, but they owed him $20,000, so he refused to report. That's what it ended. So he ended up going down and playing one game in Erie. He played one game, one game in Erie while he was waiting for his contract, and he's in the warm-up, and he sees a guy skating on the other team, and he realizes it's a guy that's been going around the league saying that Goldie was afraid of him. So he said, oh. Isn't this a coincidence? So he told the coach, he said, I need to start. So he starts and goes right after the guy. And he says, hey, man, you remember me? And the guy says, yeah, yeah, Goldthorpe. He says, oh, you calling me a coward. Hey, well, let's go. And Goldie beat the shit out of him. Started a bench clearing brawl. That shit, four seconds. Four seconds. He got 22 minutes in penalties. Kicked out of the game. He never played again for Erie. His contract <laughs> sort. He got, he got flowing to Binghamton. I mean, this is all in the book. Yeah. So. Tell me this isn't going to make a great movie. I mean, this is a this is a man whose story is just unheard of in professional sports history. Get it, folks. Read it. It's great stuff. Anything from Liam McGuire is great stuff. What do you say, pal? It's Sticks and Tops Day, Friday, December 10th. In addition to our gibble-gobble, we've got some hockey to talk about, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe we'll talk about Jacob Truba, the wrecking machine from Broadway. <laughs> or maybe we'll talk about Spetz's suspension, hitting guys down low. Whoa, what a dirty game that was in Winnipeg the other night. Flurry, 500 wins. Coach Cooper, 400 wins. Who the heck do these guys think they are? Coaching changes, GM changes. There's a new regime in Montreal. Right here at Sticks and Taps. Where do you want to start, Mr. McGuire? Well, I'd like to talk, start with uh, with uh, the Truba, the Truba hits, because that's probably the most contentious thing. Uh, well, certainly in the last last forty eight to seventy two hours. I know we, we're trying to pick up on some ground here from uh, since you've been gone, Paulie. But I don't think we need to revisit everything. But we can just stay sort of on point with the top topics here. And the Truba hits. Look at the way it is right now, Paulie. Is those hits were perfectly clean. His elbow was down. His skates never left the ice. He didn't charge at the guys. Um, either Yukara, uh, 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 however you say his last name, and uh, and Nathan McKinnon. Uh, yeah, do you know how to say the first guy's name? Yuha Yukara. I forget how to say it, but uh, I call him anyway. JK. <laughs> yeah, that's that's just as well. Call him, call him that. Well, and I laugh only because he, he's okay, thank God. He's all good. He is okay, thank Down God. No one we'll wants to see anybody get hurt. No. But both of these guys, including Nathan McKinnon, had their chins on their chest. Yeah. You know? I mean, not a lot of people talk about that, Liam. You got to keep your goddamn head up. You got to keep your head up. I mean, the people who are calling it 
a dirty hit or wanted something more in terms of supplement discipline. As I wrote to one guy on Twitter, every day, week, month, and year that goes by, there's less and less fans that are fa- like that are following the game or fans of the game that played any contact hockey or contact sports. And there's less and less fans, which is a bigger number, that even understand the the value or the intricacies or what it means to the game or a winning team, for that matter, to be able to have the physicality and have people, you know, uh, players on your roster who can handle it and implement it like Truba. And he can. And I mean, let's be honest, it's a bit of a fluke to happen in back to back games like that. It certainly was from a from picking up a Gordy Al hat trick. He became only the second guy. And I didn't just I, I read this. I did not know it. But uh, the one of the stats bureaus who can punch everything into their mainframe there punched out the the stat, and it was it was quite ironic when I dug in. It was Doug Reisbrow with the Montreal Canadiens, February fifteenth and sixteenth, nineteen seventy five, uh, against uh, both games against the Chicago Blackhawks, and he picked up a goal and assist and a fight. So he had a Gordie Howe hat trick in back to back games. Truba's wow. the only second guy to do that. So, uh, but both those hits were clean. And they are part of the game. There's been no supplement discipline, nor will there be, nor should there be. And fans need to understand that. But unfortunately, they don't. And there's just if you looked on Twitter, on the threads and the percentage, I don't know what it ran, maybe 30 minimally anyway, that were in strong disagreement and saying that the hit either was illegal. He didn't target the head. The head was right there. It was almost impossible not to hit the head. And you can make contact with the head in a body check still in the NHL you know when the head's down it's like Chara when he hit somebody unlike when he hit Trennan last night that was a little bit different (laughs) but you know there's Trennan's hit on Aho last night was in my view much more of a targeted hit Mm -hmm. toward a borderline defenseless player and he went right after his head, in my opinion. And then Chara came in and did what a teammate's supposed to do. Now you're saying, oh my God, Chara fighting anybody. He fought Trennan just like 18 months ago when Trennan caught Chara with probably the hardest right hand he's been hit with mm-hmm. in 15 years. In the last 15 years in the NHL. I don't know if you ever saw that fight. No, I didn't but see the world, no. Trennan is not a small man. I mean, everybody is compared to Chara, but he is not a small man, and he's no shrinking violet, and he doesn't mind the rough stuff or the aggressive stuff. And believe me, Chara knew this when he when he went after him last night. And Trent, I'm pretty good. Yeah. Hey, listen. He, I think he got cut, uh, which is why he came back and finished the game and scored for God's sake. I know. Trennan. <laughs> and they got the winner with 12 seconds to go, so they got the last laugh. Yes, they but did. All the blood. That was from the visor. I think Chara caught him, and, and he bent. I think he bent the visor right into his just under the eye. It's just the most That's, insane thing for me, guys fighting in visors. I just, I, I, you know what? I, I don't get it either. I've thought, I have thought about it. Like, what would I do? You know, in the, in that scenario, because there was no visors or cages when I played. You know, and and I was thinking, what would you do? I mean, you know, even hitting the helmet. Uh, so many guys have broken a hand. Yeah, but destroying a, a, the hands. A, a visor, you know, I just, I just don't understand it. I, I, I'd be inclined to drop just one glove. Like I'm right-handed, so I think I would just drop myself my up like Sugar Ray Leonard. That's what yeah, I'm doing now. yeah. Well, but I would, I would just throw with the glove on, man. I mean, what's, what's the deal? Yeah. You're going to get five minutes for fighting anyway. Yeah. 
for t- protect the right hand, leave the glove on. Yeah. But um, you know, you see those guys fight and they're smacking the visor. Now it's true when the adrenaline's going and when you're throwing and so your fist be fully clenched and you see guys are doing it all the time and and a lot of guys are are not breaking their hands. Unfortunately, Ben Sherrod isn't one of them. Like he yeah. he had back-to-back handbreaks from fights and I do he will I do not believe he'll ever fight again. Because I think if he even throws a whisper of a punch, he's going to break a bone in his hand. It's just he is susceptible now. Yeah. But so many of the other guys, you know, we talked about Liam O'Brien on the show a couple of weeks ago. He's leading. He's a fighting major, uh, fighting major leader in the NHL right now. And he's had like seven fights, Paulie. Like fighting mm-hmm. is way, 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 way <laughs> down. It's way down, sadly, way down. But anyway, those Truba hits were clean. And, you know, people need to understand that. And then you're talking about, oh, they're going to bring the double IHF rule. It's probably where we're going to go. And I know I agree. It's sadly. That's probably where we're going to end up here, where any, any contact with the head, even accidental, is 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 penalized. And you 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 get a two and a ten. And depending if it's a, if it's intent, you get tossed and possible suspension. Now, as I said to somebody the other day on Twitter, I don't think this will you'll see this discussed even until the next CBA is up. And even then, I think the players will say no. But in your lifetime, and maybe mine, because you're a couple years younger than me, you may last a little longer. Uh, I I think there's potential that that we'll see the double IHF rule come into play. I hope not. I pray to God not. But those Truba hits were totally clean. Totally clean. The Spetsas hit was totally not. And was I surprised he got six games? Yes. Well, but as, Liam, soon, as soon as you get an in-person, you know you're getting at least five. Well, let's talk about that game, okay? I mean, because yeah. I think, especially with that game. and Referee's um, lost control. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's not the first time it's a common thing. I mean, that's the unfortunate thing right there. If, if the officiating takes care of business, we don't get to that point. But the other yep. thing, the, the kneeing. You know, Pionk, all this stuff that's going on. I mean, take us into that not, game. Not even a penalty, Paulie. You're hitting the I nail know. on the head. Yeah. Not even a penalty on Pionk for that for that knee. I don't know how those things aren't seen. It's like the Subban Slewfoot, which become an epidemic here this season. Yeah. Yes, a couple of them were sketchy. And did he absolutely go full Brad Marchand on all these guys? No. But on some of them, he did. And what are you not seeing? And and especially what I don't understand. For the last five to six, seven years almost, supplementary discipline has been the equalizer for the two-referee system, which, let's be honest, Paulie, if you and I are doing a game as refs, regardless of how adept we are at doing the job, even though I'm going to say, uh, you know, okay, Polly, so you're on, you're down on the offensive side there. You've got the corners, um, you've got the front of the net. I've got everything in the neutral zone. Move as the puck moves up the ice, or however they break it down. I'm my trust would be in you to make those calls in the zones where it's it's your area. But what you see happen sometimes is there's a blatant, 
a blatant penalty in the zone where the one ref is supposed to make it. And maybe for whatever reason, somebody skates in front of him just for that brief moment. And he doesn't see it. So he doesn't call it. So then the back ref, he doesn't know what to do. And he doesn't call it. And what's gone on, in my view, in the last half dozen years or so, is that supplementary discipline has picked up on this. And that's why you see so many players are later suspended for two games or three games or four games or whatever. Normally, it's not anything that's too egregious. It's typically caught. But they're suspended in so many instances when a player isn't penalized. For example, they got Pionk on a two-gamer, even though Spezza creamed him and took him out because he's under concussion protocol anyway. So he wouldn't have been playing anyway. But supplementary discipline got him with no penalty on the play. But you could see Spezza going nuts on the bench. I mean, of all guys, too. Here's a guy, what, 18, 19 years in the NHL. He's never been suspended. He goes out there like a heat-seeking missile. I got something else to say about that just to follow up. But I, 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 I had no problem with the suspension. I know he's appealed it. I think I would doubt he's not going to get it reduced to less than five. That's for sure. And, and uh, um, I, I think it may even be upheld and, and stayed at six because it was so predatory. It was, it was deliberate contact with it, with one of the strongest parts of your body, your knee. And you got a guy defenseless and down and you target his head. Now. Yeah. He just blew up, you know, Sandine, and you're pissed off, you know. You know, the thing is, Paulie, and we just talked about fighting in hockey. Mm-hmm. You, dro- you drop that scene back in any time prior to 2000 and go back any decade. What do you think happens there? I mean, there's an immediate fight. There's a yeah. brawl, actually. There's more than just a fight. The Rangers I'm not are doing just that. talking uh, Chara on Trennan here. Uh, you know, which these retaliatory fights now that happen from, in a lot of cases, even clean hits, guys feel an obligation to come in. Back in the day, in the hockey in the day, yes, there were cheap shots, there were still suspensions, and but you wouldn't, you, you didn't see the knee on knees like that very often, and you wouldn't have seen the retaliation from Spezza like that. You would have seen the benches empty right away. If Sandine had got lit up in the 1970s by Pionk, mm-hmm. if you dropped that hit back in the 1970s, the bench is empty. But you know what happens? Here's the thing that people don't understand. What happens is when all the players go off at the end of the period and the brawl is broken up, is Pionk's teammates would go to, to him and say, cut that shit out, man. Yeah. <clears throat> Like, we're not interested in fighting your battle here. Okay, you you made a mistake, and we all backed you up here, but cut that shit out. Like, we're not, this is not, you know, you want to drop the gloves, no problem. We got your back all day. But that was the difference, is that even your own teammates would go to you. Call it the Matt Cook thing, right, in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. When he got, when his own teammates, when Mario Lemieux went to Matt Cook and said, enough, enough. And that stuff happened in the 70s. And forget about, I mean, the 60s and 50s and 40s and 30s. You threw a cheap shot, you were bringing in 
everybody on your team. And then once that was done, they were having a chat with you in the room after. That's the fundamental difference today. So what did Spezza do? He loses his mind, goes out on the ice, and does what he did. No problem with the suspension. But you hit the nail on the head. Refs lost control of that game. Make a call on Pionk. You probably don't have the rest of what went down. And then the thing with Simmons and everything else. I mean, he's going after Morrissey. Logan Stanley. Well, why? Hey, listen. That thing had turned into a circus at that point. Yeah. So, I, 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 like, who cares that Logan Stanley went off doing the victory pose? I mean, at that point, man, that game had my full attention. Believe me, <laughs> I was fully invested in that game. I wasn't turning the dial as I do most nights. I What I do, because I got the package, if I'm making notes or whatever, I go whistle to whistle to whistle, even if there's six or seven games. It's unbelievable. You almost never really – then if you've got the laptop set up for a backup game, you've got the phone going on Twitter because Twitter is so immediate. Yeah. And if you see something, boom. You fly over to that game, and you'll rarely miss anything. So I happened to be watching that game when when Pionk and and when when they carried Sandine off. And here's the thing: I'll finish on this note about that, Polly. What I wanted to say: I'm not a Leaf fan, <laughs> but I'm going to tell you they are making a move towards what they need in and on that lineup to be a better playoff squad. I know people don't want to hear this. Yeah, I, but... I just see, ladies and gentlemen, I just closed my eyes and shook my <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you right now, buddy, this is what you need come playoff time is you have to have the willingness to engage physically. You have to have it. If you think, and I know that fourth line on Tampa has been dismantled and spread around the league, but... But Gord, Coleman, and Goodrow were almost as important to Tampa's back-to-back Stanley Cup victories as Kucherov and Hedman and Vasilevsky. I'm telling you right now, that Tampa team that has won the Cup in back-to-back, and this is not the Broad Street bullies. It's not being about that. It's about having 18 guys willing to commit physically when the games matter the most and that's in the playoffs you know you try to tell me right now that your team the new york rangers who are one of the top teams in the nhl i want to talk about this go ahead and and gorton's gone and davidson's gone but they built that roster and they brought in ryan reeves and he is only one man playing nine minutes a night but you don't think he's a nuclear deterrent out there on a team that is having their best run here since they sent the letter out to the fan base saying we're in rebuild and they are winning like crazy and they are developing a roster. And who else do they have on the roster? Take a look down their roster, Polly, at the changes that has been made on that New York Ranger team. And you'll see a heightened awareness in physicality, which is one of the reasons that they, one of, not the sole reason, but one of the reason that they've improved. And this is the thing that people miss. And believe me, the Toronto Maple Leafs have made that move this year. They've made that move. We had it here in Ottawa, and they blew it up. They blew it up, man. In 2012, 2013, this Ottawa Senator roster was 
had that. They just had to keep some of that together. But anyway, that's another story. But uh, anyway, <laughs> that's uh, that's what's going on with the Leafs. I watched that game. That's the that's the suspension. No problem. No problem with that. I think he loses the appeal. If he wins it, he'll get a game off at the most. The Truba hits, no problem. Uh, I, you know, and I agree with you on this, all this stuff, too. So uh, three things I want to throw out to you here. Um, you know, the officiating, too. I mean, even when I used to officiate, uh, you know, beer leagues back in Colorado and, and over the years, too. I mean, you know, and I used to run referee crews, too. Uh, and we had the two men referees, obviously, in the rec leagues and the beer leagues, too. Is The bottom line was is that, you, you, you know, you, you take control of it in the first period. You got to let both teams know that you're going to throw throw everybody in the box in the first period. You, you, it's not going to be a foolproof thing, but you get your message across. It could allow these guys to play hockey and everything else. And I've been in a game where I've actually stopped the game with uh, three minutes left, and I said, "You guys want to finish this game? Take it out in the parking lot because that's where you might as well be playing it." And I did that. And me and I, I'll never forget that. Uh, me and a guy, we walked, we skated. I said, "Come here." I said, we're getting out of here. We skated off the rink. We left all the players on the rink. I told the owners, and I handed in my whistle and said, I'm fucking done. This is bullshit, you know? So, but now with the league, <laughs> the officiating say this and that. I think there's a part of the league here um, as far as them, um, you know, I'm not, look, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but we've been watching this game for a long, long time. There's an element of the violence, even though they take the, vi- the fighting out and all this other stuff. The league wants it in yeah. there. I feel... And I think the the player uh, safety department under Paros or whoever's going to running it in the, in the past with Colin Campbell and all that other stuff. If a player doesn't bleed on the ice or doesn't become a paraplegic or um, there's not some gruesome visual, they'll take the stretcher. They'll take the guy passed out, spinning around, and his eyes roll back in his head, and then they'll they'll wait for the report later. And if he's okay and you know, they don't have to put them on life support or anything like that. I believe it's part of, you know, I mean, the NFL's been doing this for years, too. And their highlight reels, they love showing guys getting creamed across the middle or quarterbacks getting That's thrown absolutely. into the ground. So it's a big absolutely. part of it. So, you know, you can sit here and be questionable about the officiating. I mean, why do you have two refs? They're not calling it anyway. And you know when we get to the playoffs, nothing gets called. So no. Just take no. it for what it is, folks. We, we call that the uh, Shea Weber experience. Exactly. So <laughs> Panarin is an inch and a half of his life being ended last year that only because his head, without his helmet, when Wilson ragdolled him last year, that it didn't hit the yeah. ice and he wasn't bleeding and his brains weren't all over the ice. So the league got lucky yeah. and they didn't do anything about it. And they got their line brawl Wednesday night, NBC, yeah. national television, and they got yep. it. So that's how I feel with that other thing. And I agree with you on the Truba hits. They're good, clean hits. And, and that's what I think you as a, as a pro here understanding how he didn't leave. Um, he didn't raise the elbow and he hit him across the chest. And I, like I said, it's, it's a, if you're a hockey player, if you ever played the game, you got to keep your head up. I mean, that's just the freaking way it is. Now, with the yeah. Rangers, and as far as – and I think Spezza never gets to that point if the officials control the game. And like I said, you wonder – if they if the the broadcast and the TV they want they want all this shit you know what I'm saying and the players association to me too the only time these guys get along is when they're in CBA negotiations other than that they have no regard for each other's health there on the ice so I'll leave that no there. no they don't they don't they that's don't. one of the biggest things oh, oh you don't care about your fellow man you're all part of the you're all part of the NHLPA <laughs> no they they don't for sixty minutes they'll take somebody's head clean off exactly. you know for whatever. Whatever transpires on the ice, they could care less, even if they're fellow union reps. 
So here's um I want to talk about Gallant real quick. Obviously, uh, you know, I was I was really bummed, and maybe we'll get into this too. Obviously, Gorton getting the gig in Montreal. Okay, well maybe we'll lead into that here. When JD and Gorton got fired, I was really crushed because I'm an old Ranger fan. I love JD coming here. I love what Gorton did. I I loved, you know, since the letter and the rebuild and everything else. We knew Quinn was gonna be a stopgap, blah, blah, blah. So fast forward the whole thing. They're gone, they're fired. Uh, Galan comes in here, Drury takes over, they start bringing in, like I said, Goudreau and Reeves um, and everything else, and Bloss, obviously, he's not playing right now, he's injured, but, um, so these guys are playing well this year, okay? Yeah. Um, And I love Galan's passion on the bench. He lays into the officials, he lays into his own players, he's passionate. Yes, he does. He's... He's giving the New York media media a great combination of he's he's very witty, he's smart, he's fun, but he's also there's there's no shit about him either. So um, that's also real. I think he's adapting. I think he's perfect now. Uh, here we are. You know, we're, we're we're pushing almost twenty games, and I think he's settling in. Obviously, the product on the ice is getting better. Uh, Shesty's no doubt saved their ass. Georgiev actually played pretty well. Maybe the only mistake yep. Gallant's made in this run was having Husker start the other night. But you know what? You know, every every team needs to be brought down to reality a little bit, and that's all yeah, fun. yeah. Well, they were due for a loss, but yeah. So a couple of things. Um, as far as uh, like you know, this year, which didn't happen last year, and would never have happened to the Quinn. Uh, when a Ranger guy gets hit, you know, Strom has dropped the gloves. Uh, yep. Laffy dropped the gloves. Um, you know, guys are dropping the gloves immediately, like like you what you were saying. They weren't. They didn't care. Yes. They, there, there seems to be a new uh, message on the Rangers. No matter who you yep. are, from Zabinijad down to Pan- Panarin and, and on down the line, it's almost yep. to the point where. And then Reeves hasn't had to drop the gloves in this stretch. I know. All the other kids have done it. The young guys, but it was a great yep. scene. And I know the Islanders were banged up when they went into playing at the UBS Arena and stuff. And uh, the Rangers were supposed to beat them, and they did. And then Pajot took liberties with Lindgren. And then um, yep. I think, uh, like I said, I think it was Stromer that night. Or, you know, uh, no, Lafreniere went after him, right? And then they, yep. panned, they panned over to the bench. And Reaver's sitting there on the bench. And he's just, his presence. He's looking around. He's scoping. It's almost like these guys now have the confidence. That 100%. They got, they got this big bad boy. Now, he hasn't had to done anything physically. And, man, the yeah. Rangers have a damn good fourth line with him, uh, the, uh, Gautier and, and, and Rooney. They're playing fantastic, okay? Yeah. But, man, yeah. There's, there's a different vibe on the Rangers. And Clutterbuck and Martin were in that game that uh, that night when Pajot got his butt kicked after he uh, hit Linden, right? You didn't see yep. nothing. Trotz didn't send them out. There was no big show. And I'll just remember no. seeing Reeves on the bench, just kind of like a guy looking out, going, All right, I don't, you know, if I have to, you're going to add me to the mix. But I was so impressed with the guys now that uh, they didn't do that last year. There was never no. any guys are running in. They don't care. They'll take the penalty, they'll take the, the, the major, whatever the heck it is. And that is something very different on this New York Ranger team. And if they can keep this good mix because they're they're getting scoring from all over the place, um, you know, Shesta be back here. Georgiev did really well in a couple of the games he came in, and um, and they'll, they'll just keep going. They're beating the teams they're supposed to beat, but that's been yeah. a nice mix because you talk about the Leafs. 
I've got more confidence in the new system with Gallant, with the physicalness and the talent and the scoring and stuff and the goaltending matching up as opposed to the Leafs. That's why I closed my eyes and, and rolled my head before. But I'm, I'm quietly very impressed with how the Rangers are playing um, from back to front all the way in between. They need some help, obviously, defensively, a couple of things like that. But they're, they're playing good. But anything else, more than anything else, as far as the shit on the ice that's happening, they're taking care of each other. And Reaver's back there as cleanup if they need him. He's a nuclear deterrent. There's no doubt about it. I agree with everything you say. You see a different presence totally on the ice if you watch a Ranger game compared to a year ago. There's just no question about it. It's a, it's, it's a different-looking roster. And love or hate the Leafs, it's the same thing. Um, they've got, they've got um, a, a level of physicality that they have not shown for a number of years. And whether that gets them anywhere, because they haven't won a round, as we all know, since 2004, still remains to be seen. I think Tampa last night put a real... A real statement, a real statement game there, and that's without Braden Point and, and Kucherov. So I know the Leafs are missing Marner, and there's there's some bodies missing, but I, I still think at the end of the day, this Tampa team just looks like oh my god, it's just like they're just going to be a beast to beat four out of seven Kucherov again. Is you back know, from his vacation, he's skating and practice. Yeah, for sure, that's all he does. He says, oh, okay, he starts the season. Okay, guys, I'll, I'll see you in April. You know, I'll catch up there. I'll go on long-term injury reserve there. We'll see you guys in late March or April. I'll start skating with a contact jersey there in April. Freak everybody out. Show a little video. Then I'll see you guys uh, first or second round of the playoffs. Sound good? Okay, bye-bye. And uh, off he goes. Yeah, maybe he'll show up the Olympics if they go. It looks like we're probably not going now anyway. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, man. I think the Rangers are going to going the right way. And by the way, another thing too. You emulate your coach. You do as a player, it, as players. You you take on a coach's personality, and I've I've met Turkey Gallant a couple of times. I certainly are. I've become very good friends with a lot of people that he's very good friends with. I've worked in his home province almost twenty times in the last 10, 11 years. He's a Summerside PEI boy, and very proud of it, Prince Edward Island, and 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 look at how he played. I mean, yeah. he was no shrinking violet himself. Yeah. And he was, uh, I mean, that, and he played on a line with Stevie Y for a bunch of years, man. And Bobby Probert was there and Joey Kosher. And yeah, they didn't make a final or anything, but in the late eighties there, they were a tough out. I mean, they, that series against the Oilers in 88 was probably a series that a lot of people don't talk about. It's a bunch of Red Wings broke curfew, unfortunately. And, and, uh, they got caught up in that probably weren't going to beat Edmonton anyway. Let's be honest, but I loved him as a player and, uh, I loved him. Uh, when he was in Montreal as an assistant coach, I hated him going. He doesn't speak French, so he never had a shot there. But uh, but it, it I think he's a great pickup for New York. And they're going to be a tough out, man, because I think they're through the Lundquist hangover. And Ryan Reeves, I just think these guys, he's bounced around, though. Let's be honest, you know. When they had him on Pittsburgh, I said, oh, this is great. Do you need him for Crosby and Malkin? And and you don't want Latang and these other guys getting involved. And they they. They got him out of there pretty quickly, you know. So he's bounced around. I think yeah. there's a lot of teams don't, you know, have decided that no, he's not the guy that's going to be rubber stamping getting us to a second or third round or a or a Stanley Cup final. But I think given what happened with New York last year, and that's that whole thing, right, with Tom Wilson. It's like what well, I said after. Well, what would you really have suspended him for? What would the call have been? It would have had to have been some form of unsportsmanlike conduct or whatever, right? Because he's just in the middle of the scrum. What he's doing is reprehensible, especially considering who he was doing it to. But what would the actual call have been? Yeah. 
to suspend him. There really isn't anything that he did that was outside the rule book Most other fans, than what he was penalized for on the rag dolling of Panarin. I think that was the whole thing. I mean, yeah, but what do you, what's the call? I what's didn't have an issue. I said, I, I sat there. Look, I'm a diehard Ranger fan. I said, they're not, he's not going to get anything for that. He's just playing tough hockey. Well, you know? that's it. That's you it. know, I mean, again, Paulie, I say it. I'll he say it till the day I die. Guys, he's protecting himself, and that was the well, reaction. Well, this, this, this is it. Why does Tom Wilson, look, at Tom Wilson has fought Ryan Reeves three times, and he's had his ass handed to him all three times. Do you think he's really anxious to drop the gloves with him again? No, he's not. You know, and Tom Wilson is a big, tough man who's been playing a ton of the last bunch of years on Ovi's line. He's got a Stanley Cup ring. There's even a percentage of fans up here north of the 49th that want the guy in discussion for the Olympic team, for God's sake, you know? So, you know, I mean, look, he scores too. He's actually got some hands, you know? But at the end of the day, he doesn't pull that stuff last year if Ryan Reeves is in the lineup. There's yeah. no way. Mm-hmm. There's no way. Hey, so, buddy. I, anyway. I, got, I, I tell you what, if the Rangers lock up a playoff spot and home ice, right? Let's say yeah. they win the Met, if they win the Metro, all right? Yeah. I'm going to start a petition that if the Rangers then yeah. go on to win the Stanley Cup, that alongside the new Stanley Cup banner, they have to raise a Tom Wilson picture right next to it. Because that guy <laughs> has single-handedly changed the New York Rangers franchise. He did, man. He did. He he, cha- he, he The Rangers have been revamped. If you think about it, he's responsible for Gorton and Davidson yeah. being let go. Yeah, man. <laughs> Quinn's gone. I right? Mean, I mean, Dolan's the guy who sent those sent that letter, <laughs> and they didn't support him, so they get he gasses them. Now you got a new coach. Now you got thir- thirteen new guys or whatever on the roster. It's not that many, but but I mean, all because of Tom Wilson. <laughs> It's so, true, man. It is, man. It's it's unbelievable. So, look, let's uh, speaking of coaches and everything else. Let's look into a couple of things that have changed. Obviously, uh, Gorton, who we just talked about, takes over uh, hockey operations for your Habs. Uh, your buddy Vigneault yeah. let go. Great doesn't move. get the five year. Uh, it doesn't finish the five years. Two and a half years. He's out of Philly. Uh, Mike Yo taking over right now. Uh, um, uh, intermediately, into yeah. coach, and we'll get into your take whether or not everybody wants Tockett to take over the team. My feeling is I don't know if Tockett wants that team. And then lastly, our buddy Bruce Boudreaux back yeah. on the ice Gabby. at practice behind <laughs> the bench. He's flying out of the gate with two wins. Uh, I like. I always like Travis Green. Uh, unfortunately, what happened there, a lot of talent couldn't make it happen. But talk about those um, those big moves here over since the last time we spoke. Well, um, working backwards there, talking about a tough one. Travis Green obviously caught in the uh, crossfire there of a team that, uh, much like Montreal, has a bunch of really good players that are underperforming. They've fallen into a malaise in a real dark place, in a fragile place, injuries as well. And when you don't have Pedersen and 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 um, and Besser going, uh, you know, you're you're in a world of hurt and and they've been grossly underperforming among other players on that roster. Travis Green gets caught. You bring in Boudreaux, not so sure about that long term. I mean, a lot's been made about his age and Jim Rutherford's age. What people have to remember is Rutherford hasn't been brought in as a GM. He now, just what Montreal's done with Gorton, they've brought these guys in to be the buffer, the guy to report to ownership. Both are actively now going to bring in general managers. This is the way to go yeah. for sure. 
Do you imagine for nine and a half years in Montreal, Mark Bergeron reporting directly to Jeff Molson is ridiculous. Anyway, having said that, I'll touch on him in a second, but no problem with Gabby coming in. I know they're 2-0 under him. They've won four out of five. Even under Travis, they had won two out of three. Now two in a row with Gabby. That, that train will probably come to a screeching halt relatively soon. <laughs> but he gets a, he gets a couple-year deal, and, and, and Rutherford gets a three-year deal. And as somebody pointed out the other day, in a couple months' time, collectively, they're going to be 140 years old. So I don't know if they're necessarily the two people that are going to be around for any type of significant turnaround by the Vancouver Canucks. But they've been right brought in right now as, as let's stop the bleeding. Yep. And in Rutherford's case, and I will say this, and I've said this on the show with you a few times, that I, I have to I, I have to take some here because and I told I said this on the show before, I was critical of Pittsburgh when they brought him in. I thought even at that point, I just to me, there was just so much that resembled John Muckler. And because I'd seen what happened here in Ottawa with Muckler, and I saw that with Rutherford, I thought, and I was really dismissing what he had done in Carolina. I mean, it was 2006. And I thought, man, that's a decade before. Those days are gone. And instead, what does he do? He comes in and orchestrates just a phenomenal, yeah, I mean, Sid played as good as he's had and Malkin and everything else. Regardless, give credit where it's due. Rutherford did a hell of a job. And it sounds like he went out on his shield here is why he left the team. So, you know what? The fact that he's 72, let's, uh, me, let let Liam here stop being an ageist and realize that him and Boudreaux still maybe can do a job, especially because Rutherford hasn't been brought in as a GM here. Yeah. And and I, I think that's critically important to remember what's going on in Vancouver. And I think he'll find somebody. I think Jim Benning had to go. He had to go, just like Mark Bergevin. Whatever reason, they couldn't get a deal. Whoever had the deal on the table first, whether it was Mark wanting or Jeff Molson wanting, they couldn't get it done. And you got a lame duck GM, a team that's fallen off the cliff. All of the rest of the stuff that's happening around the team with Carey Price mental illness on the heels of Jonathan Drouin's mental illness, and then the physical injuries to the players, Bergevin had to go. Why Gorton has endorsed Ducharme for the rest of the year is beyond me. It is so obvious this team has quit on this guy. They say, oh, they played Tampa Bay tough two games ago. Mailed in another effort last night against Chicago. We're one of the worst teams, and... You know, you talk about the physicality of the New York Rangers and what the Leafs are doing and what Ryan Reeves and some of these other things. There's none of that in Montreal. None of it. The only time Ryan Reeves has dropped the gloves is when that kid Pizzata from Montreal challenged him, you know, and said, yeah, let's get it on. Give the kid all the credit in the world for surviving that. (laughs) And he's a tough, tough Italian kid. But no, I mean, no problem. In Vancouver, I wholeheartedly endorse those changes. You will not hear me, unless I really feel strongly, make a strenuous comment negative against somebody else coming in, because in my mind, I think maybe age might be playing a factor in that person. Case in point, Daryl Sutter in Calgary. Now, if you watch that game against Carolina last night, but I'll tell you what. Every week there's, let's say I watch on the average parts of 
20 hockey games every week. Last night, that Calgary-Chicago game, even though Edmonton was making a bit of a run there against Boston in the third period, I was finding myself staying on top of Calgary-Carolina. And I, even though Edmonton, you know, was making a run and they, they, they you know, they, they got a, a goal late there from Dreisaitl, his second of the game, assisted by McDavid. But Boston really had that game. Calgary-Carolina was the game. I thought when they picked up Daryl Sutter, I said this to you before, Paulie, that they had really missed the boat there in retreading him back as a head coach. Man, I'm eating it on that one. And uh, so, you know, we'll see where they finish. I mean, only two teams, only one team can win the cup and only two can make the final, right? Hey, Mo- so, Mo- Mockstrom's making him look really good, too. <laughs> yeah, no, he is. He is. And so is the I other goalie so. there, love, uh, Darth Vader. Yeah. Yeah. The the, uh, the other goaltender there, uh, Vladidar, however you say his name, I call him Darth Vader. But uh, he, the times he's been in, he's looked exceptional. So, you know what? That's how you win, buddy, no from the net out. Change. Well, you have to have goaltending. But the thing is, you look at, I mean, nobody even heard of Jordan Bennington when St. Louis went on that run from New Year's Day on in 2019. Who was Braden Holpe? Braden Holpe was a solid goaltender that all of a sudden elevated his game. You know, he elevated his game in 2018. Matt Murray, who now is in the American Hockey League, playing his second game for Belleville tonight, has fallen off a cliff. Took the job from Marc-Andre Fleury in Pittsburgh and played fantastic. But he wasn't even, maybe he got some consmite votes. But you know what, Paulie? You don't need to be Ken Dryden in 71 or Bernie Perrant in 74 or Patrick Waugh in 86 or go down the line, right? So I mean, goaltenders have won the consmite trophy 17 times since 1965. Uh, that's, that's a lot, but it's not, it's not like it's every year. So you don't need to, I mean, 1965, that's 56 years ago. They've won 17 times. A lot of Stanley Cups have been won with goaltenders playing very well, but they haven't been the sole reason for the win. But you have to play well. So, you know, on any given year, could somebody step up and and be the difference? I mean, Vasilevsky looks, he he, he looks unbeatable come playoff time the last two years, but... I mean, uh, you know, the rest of that roster has looked pretty solid, too. So in terms of changes, yeah, Philly's a, tr- Philly's a train wreck because Mike Yo is no answer. I agree with you. I don't think Rick Tockett. Rick Tockett's a beloved Flyer alumni. Mm-hmm. But what's his coaching record been? I, I mean, I think it's been adequate at best. What I wrote on Twitter is the guy I'd love to see in there, and I have personal bias here, but it's Luke Richardson who can obviously never ascend to be a head coach in Montreal. I think he's ready for a shot. He's been an assistant long enough. I think he's done an excellent job everywhere he's been as an assistant. He loves Philly, man. His heart is there. And I think they need they, they need to... LAV know was a good stopgap first measure. But when they beat Montreal two years ago in the, in the second round, and then they lost the next round, LAV know his comments... And I know the man a little bit, even going way back to his tenure here in Ottawa with the Senators yeah. when he was assistant. That was his first foray into coaching in the NHL. I just went, holy Jesus, what the hell? What the hell's going on? What's going on between your ears, man? Lost your mind or what? And and I don't know. I, I don't know. And uh, that roster, I mean, they've had a bit of a resurgence from Claude Giroux, but holy lift. That whole roster is really, 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 
Goaltending issues again. Carter Hart can't stop a beach ball. To, like, I mean, he's been in the conversation for the Canadian Olympic team, and he is just, speaking of falling off a cliff, you know, I mean, yeah. he just has not been able to bring it at all. It, at all. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of changes here. Short period of time. And uh, other than the O, I don't think that's any type of long-term situ- uh, solution there in Philly who are really hurting, probably done really, uh, you know, hard to gonna imagine they can turn things around. Montreal, we'll see. I mean, a lot of rumors now who he's going to go after as a GM. He's going to take his time, which is good. Look, Gordon's brief tenure in Boston was great. I think his tenure in the Rangers was great. He was let go for a non-hockey reason, in my opinion. And I think he's a fantastic pickup. His presser in Montreal, I think, was exceptional. He did a great job. He even tried a few words of French, yeah, you know. So, yeah. so uh, Jean Tremblay and the rest of the FLQ guys there could go, could go and wave the fleur de lis there and say, "Hey, at least he said ten words in French," you know. <laughs> so they didn't, they didn't want to castrate the guy immediately on his first day on the job. But he, he already said he's getting a francophone GM. The guy's got to be. Look, is it suck that it reduces the talent pool? Yes, but as I said on Liam's hockey, my video thing that I do last week. I said, that's the way it has to be. You, This team lives and works in the province of Quebec. The first language is French. Yep. The majority of your fan base, the majority of your media, the majority of your sponsors are French Canadians. That's who you need to adhere to. You can't have an, an off-ice staff that are Anglophone. Yeah. Yes, you can have a person here or there, but your the people who deals with those people, needs to be able to speak French. I cannot understand why there's still a detraction uh, publicly in that at all that don't get it, you know? Well, I think maybe I mean, because outside of the outside of Quebec, right? I mean, and the league itself, I mean, you know, as far as uh, promoting the game, promoting teams, promoting players, I mean, the NHL is, you know, even here in the States, they really don't do a great job. So then when you get the Quebec province and the whole French thing and stuff, outside of the league, all anybody sees is the Anglo thing and the American thing and the Western Canada and Central Canada thing, and they don't they don't get yeah. it. You know what I'm saying? And you nailed yeah. it. I think you nailed it, and it's important, and anybody knows the history of the Montreal Canadiens and their, you know, just everything from the past up to, you know, the last Canadian team to win a Stanley Cup. You know, I mean, it's it's all that <laughs> stuff. But um, yes, you know, it, that's it's it's incredibly important. And ladies and gentlemen, um, if you didn't catch it, uh, when Bergeron was fired and all that other stuff, and let go, you gotta catch Liam on the Gooch. That was a great spot. He broke it down. <laughs> it's a lot of passion. So tell everybody where they can get that clip, brother. I watched it. I listened. It was good stuff, man. Yeah, hey, you know what? That's uh, a show bunny, Liam and the Gooch. Yeah, <laughs> well, I've, I've been on with Kerry Goulet quite a few times. He runs a great show. It's called Gooch Live. And uh, he's really going great guns with it. He started it during the pandemic uh, out of necessity because he does a lot what we do. He's an entertainer. He's a retired hockey player. He he played. He, he had a bit of junior A experience in Canada. And then he went overseas and played in Germany for 13, 14 years. Won a couple championships. He's revered over there. He's one of the nicest men you could ever meet. Him and his wife. He's just a prince of a man. I went to Montreal with him last week, actually, and, and spent a, co- a day and a half there with him. We had a we went to the Laval Rocket game and just had a fabulous time. And he does his show, and it's it is on video, which your, yours and ours should be too. And his is on twenty twenty two, buddy. Twenty twenty two. I'm, just, I'm and, a few pounds uh, away. I'm a few he brings <laughs> me on. Yeah, there you go. There you go. 
<laughs> he brings me on, and and he brought me on a few days after the Bergevin dismissal. And I just wanted to let people know that this man in nine and a half years was one of the better GMs in the yes. NHL. It's just Montreal fans, which is one well, of brother. the worst fan bases. Well, I thought I covered it off pretty good. I, I should get the clip and post it. It was, a, it was, it was, a, I thought I backed up my, my argument points or discussion points pretty solidly statistically for Bergevin. And, and then I just offered in my own assessment from a hockey point of view of him as well. And I, th- I think I substantiated most of that. And yeah, I did kind of get rolling there a little bit, maybe. But uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, it was a fun hit to do. I enjoy doing his show. I can tell you that. It's a lot of fun. I, and we've got some big plans for 2022 as well. I can tell you right now, he's on the committee for the 45th, an- excuse me, the 50th anniversary of the start of the WHA. Oh, wow. Uh, he's he's on the committee for it, and he's got a series of events that are planned uh, across Canada, and I think, I believe, a big one in Vegas, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, he's got me earmarked uh, to work a few of them, and he wants to bring in Goldie as well because part of part of of the spinoff from the WHA anniversary is going to be the 45th anniversary of Slapshot, the movie. So he's he's working on on that one. He is the controlling interest on that one. Wow, great! So he's on the committee for WHA, but he's basically pretty much the man in charge for the Slapshot reunion. So he's got a lot, a lot of pies, you know, a lot of finger and a lot of pies here right now. A lot of a lot of irons in the fire, and uh, I'm going to be I'm scheduled to be a part of a bunch of it. And so you know, 2022 could turn out to be maybe the greatest professional year of my life, you know, if, if, I, if I we can see just... it now, I can see it now. And now, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, a very important warning from the prime minister of Canada <laughs> to the people of the United States and the city of Las Vegas proper. <laughs> McGuire and Oglethorpe are coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Run for the hills. <laughs> can you imagine? Goldie and I, when we did that Eastern tour for the book, you know, I don't know how many events we did. Probably that's called 30. We discovered after about the 10th one that we got a fundamental problem here. (laughs) (laughs) They would say they put on the bill, the bill, you know, come and see author Liam McGuire with special guest Goldie Goldthorpe from 7 to 9 p.m. wherever. Right. And then the thing is, we never leave. <laughs> we're still there at 2 in the morning. Bartender's fighting. I don't want this shit. Room, you get this shit. And we wake up the next day and we go do it all again. And I go, holy lifting Goldie. I don't know. Buddy says, yeah, I know, man. Neither one of us ever want to shut her down. That's probably We probably need one of us to shut her down. I said, yeah. Okay, well, let's, let's talk about that tomorrow night. <laughs> <laughs> man, they should have sent a uh, uh, vice squad, uh, vice TV film crew and documented that whole bloody trip. Oh, yeah. Well, we ended up in jail there for a few hours <laughs> in PEI because they, the guy claimed that Goldie assaulted him. Oh, All he man. did was push him away from George Chevallo, and who's got dementia. And and the, the drunk who staggered up didn't realize. And Goldie, who just adores George, just adores him. And Goldie stepped up and said, to, told the guy to move away from George. And, and he said, hey, listen, tough guy. You I know you were a tough guy 40 years ago on the ice. Shut up. Like, I mean, you just, he said this to Goldie, you know? Wow. 
Anyway, all Goldie did was give him a little push, you know, but he sent the guy flying about 20 feet. <laughs> so he runs to the cops. So we had to, we had to make an appearance. And uh, I just brought in a bunch of books and I sold them all to the guards. I was going to say, you must have loved that, man. I'm going to jail. Oh, it was awesome. Goldie, baby. It was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> they, there was no too. handcuffs involved and no, no, no actual time spent in a cell. But they did ask us just to make an appearance, file an official statement. And they, they knew this guy was an idiot. And uh, we got released like, you know, I don't know, maybe we were less, in there less than two hours. But uh, yeah, great, great times. Good stuff. <laughs> All right, pal, uh, before we head to uh, this day in hockey history and our Irish toast for today, um, Minnesota, eight in a row. Um, do they need to be, uh, I mean, this point of the season impressive to you in that division and uh arizona um i don't know i right, what do you say yeah i mean no i don't know. one more can what more can you say get them out of there yeah i mean seriously you know who even do you believe now on on that you know uh, i mean they, they got the guy the controller from the city saying hey look we got 1.8 mil or so whatever it was i don't know you can get the number and then arizona no 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 we're all paid up I don't know. We're we're all paid up. Well, hey, listen, Arizona. I mean, your track record would suggest that we fully believe you, and you are all paid up. There's no doubt about that. You've had no financial problems here. I mean, I I don't know, man. That's uh that's a head scratcher. But uh, they hang on. Uh, some people suggesting it's uh you know it's like a bastard child there at Gary, and he just doesn't want to lose uh lose that on when his Batman watch. When Batman came in to open the UBS arena, uh, there's reports that he he shot up to Quebec where they built that arena a few years back. So I don't know, man, but. I, I got to be honest with you. I, I'm a, I'm surprised there has been more talk of Quebec getting rubber stamped as one of the next ones. I, I, I still I still believe when they go to 34, and they will at some point, not immediately here. I thought it would have happened by now, to be honest. That Quebec would have minimally been in the discussion. I, I did not build that arena for a junior A team, and I... I am disappointed. I, I really wanted them back. I hated it. Sad when the Nords left. I understand why. Yep. Marcelo Boo needed financial help, man. He just didn't have the resources. Same reason we went through, you know, the Senators were bankrupt here for the same reason. They just didn't, you know, Bruce Firestone and then Rod Bryden didn't have the money to play with the big boys. Melnick did in 03, and I think over the span of 10 or 15 years with everything, all the, the things that happened to him away from hockey, he lost a lot of that fortune, and that's why, why he's been running a tighter ship since then, which has caused some of the problems here, among other things. Same thing with Marcelo Bou in Quebec. But if there's, a, if there's a, a city and a fan base that deserves an NHL team, it's Quebec City. I mean, this is, first, not just a fact they're Canadian, but, I mean, anybody who's old enough to remember the Nordiques and what it was like as a rivalry, it's, it's, it's indescribable. Yeah. You have to have been in the buildings to fully understand the scope of that rivalry. Because it's like talking about the 72 Summit Series. It's so much more than what just transpired during those eight games in the month of September 72. Montreal and Quebec is a rivalry of so much more because people say, well, Islanders, Rangers or the Battle of Alberta or or, you know, you get into Detroit, St. Louis or some, of you know, Rangers, Boston, whatever, Montreal, Boston, Montreal, Toronto. I'm telling you right now, Paulie, as a hockey historian, 
Montreal, Quebec was at another level, in my view, another level. So I would really hope at some point they get back. Arizona's a train wreck, and uh, I just, I just, I just don't know. Minnesota Wild, Paul, it's December tenth. They're first in the NHL. Yeah, they're leading the NHL. They're the number one out of thirty-two teams. The Minnesota Wild, and are they doing it with smoke and mirrors? Well, not really, but I mean, a little bit. <laughs> I mean, they, they they buy out Suter and Parise, which everyone, oh, well, you know, I mean, God, geez, those guys are such integral part for so long and natives of the area, you know, the whole nine yards and, and it was such a good fit getting them both over there at the time and the big contracts, you buy them out. Yeah, you hit a home run with uh, Kaprizov, however you say his last name, Calder Trophy winner who's like, you know, whatever, he's 90 years old and he's winning Calder Trophies. So... <laughs> He's, he's leading the team in scoring at a slow start. He's flying right now. He looks very similar last year. Look at the coaching staff. Dean Evason doing a very quiet, quiet job there, you know. But, you know, things that I like, Pauly, on their assistant coach, one of the assistant coaches is Darby Hendrickson. He's, he's beloved by that fan base. He's an original Minnesota Wild. He scored the first ever goal yeah. in the XL Center. He's a guy like that as an assistant coach. You know what that means to the community? Like, that's why winning is not always just about, like, your community involvement, your fan base, your media. I just think they've structured and put that team together so well off the ice in the last three or four years. And now you're putting the pieces together. And you want to talk about physicality. Bunch of guys on D. You have no Terminators back there, but you have guys that make you pay the price physically. And they're so smart with the puck. And and they're just they're just like Dumba. I got all day for that guy. All day. Yep. Goladeski, all day for that guy. And and I just am really, really thrilled. And I, I you know, I mean, it wasn't like back in the day when Dean Evanson played that I went, oh my God, I can't wait to see Dean Evanson play hockey. But I just think he's done an outstanding job, and they deserved a shout-out on our show today. I, I really think, look, it's December 10th. I don't think anybody's picking them for the Stanley Cup, but give credit where it's due, man. As of today, they stand alone at the top of the National Hockey League, and they deserve a shout-out. And they got one of your old Rangers a net, man. Cam Talbot's kicking out BBs right now. Love Cam, yeah. You know, yep. he's 34 years old. And he's playing the best hockey of his life. And he's had some good runs. Look, he filled in for Lundqvist, as you well know. And he was lights out for the Rangers Mm -hmm. when he filled in for King Henry back in the day, a few years back. But, you know, he couldn't maintain it. And then he's just bounced around. I mean, Minnesota rescued him from the scrap heap. Minnesota's been known for rescuing rescuing a few goaltenders on their on their journey through the league. <laughs> they have. Do you know what I call it? I call it the go- the ghost of Gump Worsley. It goes back to the Minnesota North Stars. There you go. When they had Caesar Maniego and Gump Worsley and Fern Rivard and and they had these guys and when the Minnesota North Stars first really came to prominence in the early 70s and I know the Minnesota North Stars became the Dallas Stars. I know it's different, but it's a team in Minnesota. And looming over, <laughs> besides the theme to Mary Tyler Moore, is Gump Worsley's bald-headed shadow and frumpy, gumpy little body of his. And I think he's in the blood of Cam Talbot, baby. 
Oh, that's all great stuff, man. Oh, man. I mean, what a rip. And don't forget the great Gil's Malash, man. Loved him. Hey, Joe Malash, he deserves to be mentioned for sure. For sure he does, Jill Malash. <laughs> Outstanding goaltending back in the day from Jill. He's in the record book, I think, for the most losses. <laughs> <laughs> well, good on them. If uh, you know Zuccarello, what time is it? Zuccarello will go down with an injury very soon here. Yeah. But, uh... Hey, listen. They're speaking of your New York Ranger guys, right? I mean, I'll never forget him playing for New York. And I told you this story. I was actually dating a girl from New York for a little while there in 2010 and making some trips down to Manhattan. And, and it was the first time I heard him. <laughs> the first time I heard his nickname, I nearly fell off my bar stool when she called him the Hobbit. She's <laughs> <laughs> a New York Ranger season ticket There's holder. Some Hobbit music there. Oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, because he looks like a leprechaun, right? Oh, my and gosh. I, I had never heard that. I hadn't heard that. And she said, oh, that's what we call him here in New York. And I said, that is so funny. But, yeah, he is scheduled. I think he has an, an injury scheduled here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, Matt Tanner, a couple more points here as we head towards wrapping this great show up man we're pushing two hours love it it's time for this day in hockey here on sticks and taps and i always love this segment of the show as liam takes us back yep to what today is and what it was once before Speaking of rivalries you want to talk about intense rivalries possibly uh this goes down in history of sports you got to go way back <clears throat> when the nhl had two teams in montreal you want to talk about canadians nordiques in 1924, a uh, second team joined the NHL from Montreal, sort of to be to oppose the largely French-Canadian makeup of the Montreal Canadiens. A largely English team in Montreal called the Montreal Maroons joined the NHL. And um, the first time ever that the Canadians played the Maroons was on December 10th, this date, in 1924. And, it, yeah, the Habs were... Defending Stanley Cup champions, they had a powerhouse squad at the time, and they won the game five nothing. A rule Joliet scored four goals. I, I I wanted to bring it up as much for that as anything else, Paulie, because as you know, I've said this story anytime his name comes up. I drank with a rule Joliet at the Prescott Hotel, 1985, 1986, and here's this man, part of this hockey history moment from 1924. I just find that a little inc- incredible, really, but I guess it also speaks. I'm getting a little long in the tooth myself, but but that one. <laughs> Is, um, is prevalent in this day in hockey. Johnny Bauer played his final game ever in the NHL, and I remember watching it on TV on this day in hockey in 1969, December 10th. They lost to the Habs 6-3, suited up almost an emergency basis for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And there's a few others that stand out, but there's a stat one on Wayne Gretzky because we're having a lot of conversations these days about as Connor McDavid sort of ascends into the and as Sydney sort of moves towards his twilight years here. Ah, McDavid's done. They've lost four in a row. Finished. I know. I know. I know. I know he got two more points, two more assists last night, but he hasn't scored, and they've lost four in a row. You're right. So they're kind of struggling here a little bit, but you know what they've done, right, this year, especially him. And and uh, on this day, December 10th, Wayne did two things, two three years apart. So 1986, December 10th, he recorded his 40th hat-trick poly. He was 25 years 25. old. 25. That's the that's the number. His 40th wow. hat trick. I mean, 
it's just indescribable, right? And three years later, so now he's 28, he recorded his 1900th point. 1900th point by the age of 28. I, it's just ridiculous what that man did to the record book. So those are a few. And you I have it here in the notes here too, uh, the age thing, but you you know, in the notes you gave me too, 1900 points in only his 803rd game. 803rd game. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. That's exactly right. I mean, he had played 803 games, which is totally doable by the age of 28 in the NHL in any 80-game season, going back to 74-75 when the NHL first went to an 80-game season. You play 10 years, probably, you know, if you've stayed relatively healthy, you're close to 800 games. But you don't have 900 points, 1,900 points. I mean, what the hell even is that? It's like you go out on the ice with a calculator. But that's what it was, right? That's the way it was. Like, we didn't have the ability to watch him game in and game out in those days. But I saw a lot of Oiler games, and I saw him play live a ton of times. And at the end of the night, even if he didn't dominate what you witnessed on the ice, they'd win 6-3 or 7-1 or 9-4, and he'd have four, five, six points all the freaking time. And I just, nobody came across the blue line button-hooking back like he did. Nobody set up behind the net like he did and dished like he did. When they took his time and space away from shooting the puck, I tell people all the time, Wayne Gretzky went down in goal scoring by 21 goals from one year to the next. By 21 goals in his prime, went down by 21 goals. You know how many he scored that year? And he went down by 21. Yeah, he scored seven, 71. I was going to say, I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> he still scored 71 goals because the year before he had 92. So when they took away his ability to score like he could, you know, people say, well, Mike Bossy's the greatest goal scorer of all time, which is ridiculous. It's Ovi now for a career for sure. But Mike Bossy had nine, well, he had nine straight 50 goal seasons. How many times did Mike Bossy lead the NHL in goals those nine years? Twice. <laughs> Twice. I mean, how do you not say that Gretzky is the greatest goal scorer of all time? Well, he still is right now at 894, and maybe Ovi passes him. But if you're just talking the pure, singular goal scoring and nothing else, it's Ovi and then Bossy now, for sure. But Wayne Gretzky, when they took away Paulie's time and space to shoot the puck, all he did was just start dishing it. And in 1986... He recorded 163 assists. That's insane. Yeah, it's beyond. So I wanted to throw that stat out there. Uh, I normally try and stay away from the stats when I do this day in hockey. But I just felt they were so incredulous, they needed a shout-out. Nah, good stuff, brother. Another guy who's looking good behind the uh, net is uh, Mr. Trevor Zegras there, buddy. (laughs) Hey, listen. What Troy Terry and Trevor Zegras, both those guys... Well, Zegers in particular, uh, I mean, he should be, they should be in the American Olympic discussion. Uh, I'll tell you what, uh, I, 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 I kind of maybe poo-pooed the Americans a little bit there when you and I first started back with Sticks and Taps because we were way back talking about the Olympics. I think right now they're going to be a tough out. 
Jack Campbell, Josh Gibson, they look solid in that. Their D is outstanding, and they've got more than enough scores. And Zegers, maybe they don't make the team. But that move behind the net, Troy Terry, Zegers, what these guys are doing right now is insane. And look, they are largely responsible for this rejuvenation in Anaheim. Let's be honest. And our boy from hey, Long Island, Sonny Milano, baby. Sonny Milano. Look at him, loved him. Loved him the first time I saw him. I became a fan of the guy. And, uh, yeah, he's a Long Island guy. you got to be loving that. And and look what they've done. They have given a shot in the arm to Ryan Getzlaff. He's probably playing the best hockey in the last three, four years, probably since him and Corey Perry really last were a going concern. I have not seen Ryan this engaged. You cannot tell me that he's not rejuvenated playing, playing with these kids. And I've, I've seen that happen time and time again in hockey history where an old, you know, an older guy – in his twilight years, massively rejuvenated by by incredible talent from youth. And you're seeing that on Anaheim. So, yeah. Yeah, good call there, brother. Good stuff. All right, buddy. It's uh, Let's fire up a little whiskey in the jar here. As we always close out sticks and taps with our Irish toast. Yeah. We'll include that with the whole Irish connection here that we do every week, too. We're going to just wrap it all up here in the Irish toast. I know this is Liam's favorite tune. I love, I love the music of this, buddy. So do I. Woo. Let it go for a bit. I found this clip, man, and this is one of the best instrumental versions I've heard of it, man. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. Just, just rem- reminds me that we're just that much closer to St. Patrick's Day. Bobby Jesus, no, won't be long now. Just a couple of months, about six or so. <laughs> hey, All listen, right, buddy, you're doing buddy, the toast today, buddy. You're doing that? the toast that you. The toast is on you today. All right. Uh, for for your uncle, uh, you and I have shared this uh, in message, and as we wrap up, I'd like you to uh, to tell uh, tell a little bit about him. And I've got my my shot here, ready to do in his honor, and right. and to and to your brother and his wife as well. Cheers, man. Yes, uh, on, a, on a very happy, happy note, incredibly proud of my brother and his new wife, Karen, Sean and Karen. Here's to you guys. Cheers. No doubt about that. And uh, long years of health and happiness. And, man, you threw one hell of a party down there in New Orleans. We won't, we'll never forget it. It was great. Um, after the wedding on Sunday morning, uh, we did get the news that my Uncle Jerry had passed away from stomach cancer. Now, my mother from Dublin and my dad from Dublin as well, too. My mother had 12 brothers. And um, a lot of our older uncles now and are, are passing. Uh, my cousin Jerry and his wife Danielle didn't were supposed to be down in New Orleans, but they got the word that he was taking a bit of a turn, so they stayed home. And um, he he did pass. So right. my uncle Jerry and my uncle Billy, who passed away a couple years ago, fantastic singer, uh, an idol of mine. And um, my uncle Jimmy, another great singer, and I know I've introduced you to my uncle Jimmy as well in the past too. Uh, yeah. Another incredible talent, too, uh, singer and uh, just a great guy. But these three lads, when they came over from Ireland many, many years ago, and some at some point, in the, I don't have the exact dates, but some some point in the 70s, they started their own painting business, and it was called Shamrock Painting, okay? Beautiful. And if anybody's uh, as old <clears throat> as me, 52 and, and, and older, or anybody who grew up in the 70s here in the South Shore of Long Island here in the Limbrook Oceanside, East Rockaway, Rockville Center, uh, Malvern, anywhere in this central area. Um, you'd have to know who Shamrock Painting was. And right. uh, just three dubs 
And every, a lot of people in the family, whether it was cousins, nephews, other brothers would come in. My Uncle Kevin would come in. My Uncle Martin would come in and help. My Uncle Richie, right? These are all brothers. Yeah. And they'd all go out and do the jobs. And uh, I was blessed to have my Uncle Jimmy actually come. And when we bought the new house here, we're here almost 15 years. Um, yeah. He came in. And his grandson, Anthony, who was down at the weddings and is a close buddy of my, uh, obviously, cousin and close friend of my brother Sean as well, too, uh, was helping him, was working for him, you know, Shamrock painting there. So uh, it was wow. only a, a few years ago that they actually shut it all down and sold the truck and everything. But they had this great white van with Shamrock painting on the side of it. And I, yeah. as a kid, I remember now the, the Shamrock painting was conveniently on the same strip mall, right? A little yeah. town here in the Limbrook, which had, it was uh, the Shamrock Inn, uh, the pub on the corner. And then after that, it became the Whistling Gypsy. So <laughs> our family, right? So I have great memories of going to the shop and the smell of the paint and then an old radio on the corner. I know we talked about this with my dad, too, having the old radio in the shop in the city. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, they always had it there, and there's always <clears throat> Irish music. So it was, it was great. Um, it was a great thing for the family. It was kind of like a central base. And like I said, all of us either had helped out or we visited the shop or, you know, my mom took us by to drop something off. And I just remember them always. And my, my, my Uncle Anthony, too, man, and, and he, he worked for them, too, and he passed away, unfortunately, of lung cancer uh, about 15 years ago himself. And we just saw his uh, son and daughter at my Sean's wedding. We had a lot of great connections this week here, the trip. A lot of the family came in from all over the place. But my Uncle Anthony, actually, he went, when he moved down to North Carolina years ago, right, uh, back in the 90s, he opened up his own shamrock painting down oh, in wow. Carolina. Okay. So he kept, yeah. kept the tradition going there, too. So, uh, yeah, my Uncle Jerry has passed. Uh, great memories of him. Uh, a lot of respect for him. Uh, very close with his son, Jerry. And my cousin Jerry called me yesterday, and I was absolutely uh, honored and thrilled. He asked me to be a pallbearer uh, next week at the funeral. So I am uh, I'm getting nice. chills Very just nice saying buddy. it right now. Um, nice. Yes, unfortunately, my, my uncles on my mom's side, they're, you know, they're getting up there. For uh, sure. Losing a lot yep. of them. But as I close my eyes here, uh, we think of the Christmases, the holidays, sticks and taps. And one of the main reasons why I love doing the show with you, and we both have the, the Irish and the Dublin lineage, is because my childhood is is brought around, and that's why I'll throw the Irish accent on and I'll do this. And yeah. I, I lived it. I breathed it. I was uh, uh, Irish families here in America and especially in New York on Long Island. We were, we were raised around that. And the sing song and the drink yeah. and the gargle and family coming in. And, you know, me going to uh, JFK the other day to fly down to New Orleans has been the first time I've traveled, obviously, pre-COVID in a long time, a couple of years. Uh, the last time we right. went was Florida, I think about almost four or five years ago with the kids. Um, but going to JFK, uh, all these memories come back because it, it, it's always us going to pick up family from Aer Lingus, you know? Yeah, in, yeah, exactly. You know? Or yeah. when I was going to Ireland, you know, leaving on Aer Lingus from, from JFK. So um, I want to raise a glass to my um, Uncle Jerry and totally. my cousin. I want to tell you this. Uh, this was a class act, not only him asking me. Now, he asked me to be a pallbearer because of my mom. Yeah. And then uh, because of the Shamrock painting, he's asked uh, my Uncle Richie's two sons, Martin and Kevin, uh, to be pallbearers. Uh, my cousin Jimmy, son of Jimmy. And I believe either Mike Sr. or Mike uh, Jr. is going to be for my Uncle Billy, his uh, nephews. And then um, I think uh, two of his grandsons are going to be a part of it. And then uh, two of my younger uncles, who are still with us, thank God, uh, Martin and Kevin, will also be a part of this whole procession. So... I uh, give full marks to my cousin Jerry um, to to involve us, and I love his tip of the hat. 
uh, to the tradition. And these guys, these Irish lads, these guys from Dublin, a little uh, Irish painting shop here in New York on Long Island, um, and all of us have great memories. And it's amazing. And my cousin Kay, and that was her uncle Jim, my uncle Jimmy, who passed away last year. She gets off the elevator at the hotel that they've staying in New Orleans, right? And right. they open up, and she put this picture up, and there was guys painting in the hallway, buckets. Oh. Wow! And she she shot it out to the family. She goes, "If this isn't a sign, no know, kidding." Yeah, yeah. She, they, yeah. The elevator doors open up, and she took a picture. She goes, "You got to be kidding me!" Yeah. And it was like the paint buckets and the tarps all yeah. over the place, and the guys were painting. So it was amazing. So anyway, uh, here's to uh, Sean and Karen. Great wedding. Here's to uh, my uncle Jerry and all my uncles who have passed on. Uh, they will be recognized and remembered next week. And to my cousin Jerry, too, for the honor of being a pallbearer of this. And um, I want to raise a glass to them. Cheers. And I am Paulie with a fantastic shot of Jameson's for them right now. Looks beautiful. Doesn't it? <laughs> Cheers. And what we'll do, folks, is uh, we will go out <laughs> with Danny Boy. From your okay. Jerry. And to all our listeners who have lost loved ones. And to all those with the Irish heritage and who tune in here. And guess what me and Liam are doing here at Sticks and Taps. It's a wonderful show. I love the show. And I love my man. Most unique podcast. Yes, it it is. is. I love you, sir. So, as always, I want to thank everybody for listening. Um, Follow us everywhere at Sticks and Taps. Make sure you follow me and Liam on the Twitter and everywhere else. And, Liam, as always, please take us out. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, thank you so much for listening to another edition of Sticks and Taps. Until next time, we'll see you. G'day! Thank you.